Hi everyone, Tim Kittrow, and you're listening to the Pie Factory Podcast here in downtown Milwaukee. Boom shakalaka! So hey, uh, what's going on over there uh, now that we're doing a Pie Factory Podcast episode? Whoa, what just what happened the, there? What the hell was, what's going on? I have no clue. Oh, God. oh, you know what it is? It's that stupid tape deck we use for the theme music. Ugh. And it's not really an audio cassette or an 8-track either. It's reel-to-reel, as yeah. we've talked about reel-to-reel before. Yeah, I know, and you've told me before we need to upgrade the thing, and we'll work on it, I promise. Yeah, we, need to promise. Buy a, we need to buy more reels. That's the, the main issue. Because the ones <sighs> we've had, I think, were recordings by Dizzy Gillespie. Huh. So we got that going for us. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of cliches. <sighs> I don't want to speak of cliches. Cliches are so cliche. Boom shakalaka. He's on fire. Oh, now we have to have Hyde like make sure we start with the Tim Kitzrow intro then, just to tie that together. Or we just don't use that, what I just said. Or that. But I, don't know. I guess we could. I don't know. It's all it's up to Hyde's yeah, discretion. He's a, he's a professional audio engineer. He knows what to do. At least what he gets paid from us, he's got to be considered professional. <laughs> professional sucker? Eh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, for what we pay him? Yeah, we're amateur suckers. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. <sighs> so he's one up on us again. Yeah. Um, oh, you know what? We should probably talk to our friends and not to each other right now so they know that uh, they are listening to Pie Factory Podcast episode number 86. We have friends? Well, I think that's the... Uh, you know, you know how like Grateful Dead listeners are called Deadheads, and Jimmy Buffett listeners are called Parrotheads, and uh, our listeners are friends. Genesis fans are Philheads or something. Philmore's Baldheads. Bald or is that head. just Phil? That's just Phil. So uh, anyway, I, I guess I'm Sean. I am the one and only host of Pie Factory Podcast, except for this other guy. And I'm pretty sure that I'm Jim. He is also the one and only host of Pie Factory Podcast. Wait, let me check. Where's my wallet? Let me pull out my... Hey, 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 hey. Uh, oh, wait. I'm not Jim. I'm James. Oh, James. So, yeah, James. So there, What, there's more than one of you? Well... I would have thought it'd just be Jame. The apostrophe is silent. Oh, okay. All right. And that's the episode. Thank you, everybody. Jimmy G, uh, what games have you been playing lately? What's going on with you? Well, I don't own any sheep, so I can't tell you what's going on with you. But as far as games I've been playing, what's going uh, on with Ram? Oh, you don't have any sheeps. Never mind. No. But as far as what I've been playing, I've been uh, just I've been exploring more in Grand Theft Auto Five with the LSPDFR add-on i haven't really ah, done yes. anything as far as you know arresting people or whatever it's really a cool add-on because it allows you to actually play the cops and pull people over and get involved in police actions and stuff like that instead of playing yeah. the normal the normal game mode and i've said it before but the world the that rockstar games created for that game is just amazing how realistic it is and how gorgeous it is i mean you got mountains you can climb you can go hiking mountain biking you know whatever and I've been trying to figure out how to load the um, the National Park uh, Service uh, vehicles into the add-on. I'm still working on that. Um, I haven't really played too much in the way of games other than uh, games that we're talking about tonight. 
However, I found a Chips Challenge clone for my phone that I've been playing quite a bit, and oh? I'm... Man, I forget how hard of a game that was. Some of the levels are just, like, I mean, near impossible. I mean, they're not impossible, obviously, but otherwise they wouldn't have put them in the game. But it's just insane how hard this game was. Mm. I, I've completed... They've got this... It's The game's called... It's called Romney's Gauntlet, and they've got a pack of the original 149 levels, and then they got two additional packs of 149 levels. I've completed about 130 of them, but I, I've got like 48, or I'm sorry, 50 I've got to complete in the in the first pack of the original levels, and I just don't know how I'm going to complete some of these. They're just insanely difficult, but uh, I'm going to keep going with it because it's... Uh, it's fun, but Chip's Challenge also got real frustrating real fast, too. So the best you can do is keep going on and hoping for the best, I guess. And I guess there's additional levels that you can download, too, uh, fan-created levels and that. So I might explore that after a while. But but that's pretty much it. I haven't really been doing a whole heck of a lot of, uh, uh, of gaming lately for uh, many different reasons here. But, uh, yeah. So, so there is that. So how about you? How about me? Um, well, um, I was thinking at first I didn't really play many games, but that would be a lie because I totally forgot about extra life. And, um, so extra life, uh, first off I did extra life pretty much the weekend of November 3rd on Friday, November 2nd, after I got home from work and had supper. I started playing for Extra Life. I started with my Commodore 64 playing the uh, Give My Regards to Broad Street video game, which was a companion piece to the Paul McCartney movie of the same name. Those of you who saw Give My Regards to Broad Street, believe me, the movie is absolutely fine. There is nothing wrong with it once you play the actual video game. Goodness. I've never seen the movie, but I went online to read a synopsis of it to see if I was doing a good thing by not watching the movie, and it sounds like I was doing a good thing by not watching the movie. Yeah, the soundtrack is pretty good, but the movie itself, it's I, I, I watched it years ago, and I don't remember a thing from it. Wasn't the uh, the soundtrack album, didn't that have the song com- or coming up on it? Um, I don't know what was on the soundtrack album other than No More Lonely Night. Well, you know what? I have a little magic box that I can type something in. And, um, I think I've mentioned before how it's weird how a song can trigger, you know, trigger a memory. Like one year we went to, uh, Mississippi Palisades State Park when I was growing up and the big songs on the radio right then. Uh, I, I don't remember the one it was off of, uh, the Fleetwood Mac rumors album, but at the same time, it was also uh, silly love songs by uh, Paul McCartney and Wings was one of the ones that was constantly played on the yeah. radio. And it, that song always reminds me of there. And uh, the year that Coming Up came out, I re- distinctly remember that being played all over the radio as we were on vacation in the Pacific Northwest, huh. and it was constantly being played on some radio station we were picking up out of Bend, Oregon, as we were driving through the Oregon desert. Ah, true and, geography um, nerd would know they, that, that uh, native Oregonians say Oregon. Not Oregon. Oregon? Oh, they well, see, I the final syllable. And I, I, try, I try to pronounce things the way that yeah. the locals pronounce them, so I'm not as, you know, any more awkward than I already so am. The West so that's why I say Nolans, and that's why I say Nolans and Norfolk, and uh, uh, what the hell am I doing in Illinois? 
So, and what about that town just on the Indiana border in Kentucky? The town. Do you pronounce it Indiana? Louisville? Do you say Louisville? Do you say Louisville? Okay. I pronounce in Louisville. Oregon. You got to schwa that final syllable. Schwa. That's a word people don't use. Schwa. 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 There's a band called Schwa, I think. And there's an I improv believe. group at uh, I.O. in Chicago called Deep Schwa. Never saw them though. Schwa. But I'm wow. looking at the track That's list my of the letter. Give My Regards to Broad Street soundtrack, and no, it does not contain Coming Up. Coming Up was a number one hit, though, in 1980. Uh, there are two okay. different versions out. There was the studio version on McCartney 2. And the reason it was called McCartney 2 is that just like with Paul McCartney's McCartney album from 1970, McCartney 2 was recorded entirely by himself on all the instruments in his house. Oh, wow. And uh, so it's like a sequel to the previous album that I did the same one, so it's called McCartney 2. I prefer the studio version of Coming Up, but the one you likely heard ubiquitously was the Live in Glasgow version, which was a number one hit. Yes, that's the one I, I, I heard, and I do like that version. That version. There are too I many squeaky it. things I But in then it again, I've never heard the studio version. And so. the, uh, the studio version, they did a really cool video for that one. Really? Where it's basically Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney playing all the characters. There's a, I like, have seen that. Yeah. I have seen that, yes. By the way, the guy who's supposed to be Buddy Holly is not actually supposed to be Buddy Holly, but some British guy. I don't remember who. But, but that was it's a pretty cool video. Good, good editing in there. The reason I wanted to check Give My Regards to Broad Street is because it does have remakes of older songs like uh, Yesterday, Here, There, and Everywhere, Good Day, Sunshine, Silly Love Songs. Love uh, silly love songs. The, the long and winding road, but it does not. It does not have coming up, nor does it have band on the run. Why am I mentioning band on the run? Well, for those of you who didn't watch my Twitter feed, first of all, congratulations because. Ugh. Second of all, in the background of the "Give My Regards to Broad Street" video game, there's an incessantly repeating loop of a fast version of band on the run in a minor key. And it's very grating. And, oh my god, I this game, give my regards to Broad Street game. I told Ferg that he should consider it for the pain in the assathon. <laughs> but he says he doesn't think that they actually allow computer games, just console games. Uh -huh. If I'm misquoting him, I, for, I apologize. Uh, but I think, the, I read the instructions, and of course, as I was reading the instructions out loud my Twitch stream was using the wrong audio source, so nobody heard me. But I was reading the instructions, and if I remember correctly, what you're supposed to do is, well, somebody stole the master tapes for your new album and scattered the songs all over London in subway stations, in the tube stations. And you have to drive around London and find the scattered songs and basically your bandmates and your crew and people are handing you the lost songs. I think that's how you're supposed to play it. I think that's the, the plot at least. And the manual contains several maps of London and you're supposed to drive a car around London. It's an overhead view and the control is atrocious. You use the joystick and the car will only move forward. Or backwards, I think. You move the joystick left to go forwards, right to go backwards, I think. And if you want to turn, you actually have to press the joystick hmm. button and hold it down until the car rotates to where you want it to go. And when you get to a subway station, when you get to one of the tube stations, one of two things will happen. Well, first of all, 
You're controlling Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney steps out of his car. Either somebody will greet you at the station or Paul McCartney just gets out, pulls out a guitar and plays a song and that's it. In my experience, the only person I ever saw at any of the stations was this character who looked like Dolph Lundgren. Hmm. And he'd just come out, walk over to you, and then there's a big message on the screen that says, gotcha. And then you're brought back to the street map, right back to the middle of the map where Abbey Road Studios is. And you got to start over. I was watching you play that, and it seems to me that what they did with the map was actually pretty incredible for the time. It was incredible, but they didn't make it playable. Well, that's just the thing. They put out a really fairly, for the time, a fairly incredible uh, map of London in this game. And I'm thinking, why couldn't they have done a a control system kind of like, I don't know, Rally X? That would have made perfect sense for that kind of a game. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, because the game concept itself is not terrible. But the concept isn't terrible. It seems to me, too, like, though, from what I was watching you play, that they don't give you enough time to get to where we're just supposed to meet somebody. It's like the second you see some something, then you, you know, you're heading that direction. And then by that time you see that, Oh, you know, they're, they're somewhere else. And I'm like thinking, yeah, I get, I like that the map is big, but at least give you a little more time or give you, or get to at least allow you to get to a, a, get to a tube station and go there using the tube to make it a little faster or something. But they could have done something to make it like a fun exploration kind of thing. That would have been interesting. Like I said, the basic the basic idea is there, but the execution is just horrible. I know, I know, and uh, I only played the game because my wife made me. She said, "You have to play this if you want my support." So <laughs> I did, and like I'm half hour into, it. I was like, "Honey, if I play enough," she said, "No, don't play it until something actually happens." <laughs> but, but another fifteen minutes goes by. I was like, "I said, screw it, I'm moving on to something else." I do want to play this just. <laughs> to see how bad it is. I mean, I saw how bad it is, but I mean, seeing you know, how something bad something is and actually playing something uh, bad is, are two different things. I'll is bet it, you it, that if I had the printed instructions and the printed maps, it would have been a little bit better instead of me having to like alt tab constantly between mm-hmm. the the, twi- the Twitch feed and yeah, the... Uh, that's true. I was trying to help you out there, but yeah, with, the delay between, uh, with the delay between the chat... And uh, what you're actually doing uh, didn't really help too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. But and I, I think there was one point you were getting uh, one place confused with another one because the names were so damn similar. I know. Like, really, what the hell is up with those Brits over there and their I similar mean, I, names I, I, and their I misspelled get, O-R words? And Yeah, I, I get that there can be a couple of places you know, in real life that have similar names, like Oak Park, Oak Forest here or in the Chicago Or how about the south side of Chicago, where you have the numbered streets, where you have 48th place and then 48th street, and then 47th place and then 47th street. And every now and then a court thrown in for good measure. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, and I get that, but to have it in a game to make things a little, <laughs> to make things confusing just does not make, just uh, does not make sense. <laughs> But yeah, I played that for a while and I switched over to uh, the, the 7800 and I played a few 7800 and 2600 games. I don't remember what <gasps> off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure I played Draconian. Uh-huh. And uh, the next day I went to Underground Retrocade and I was there for 13 and a half hours total, I think. And that's not counting a lunch break I took and a break I took to go check into my hotel room and then grab a frozen custard over at Vans. 
and Scott and Alex, Alex is, uh, she works over there at the retrocade. She opened up the retrocade that day. She, she and Scott were both really, really good to me. And I'm very thankful. I played a lot. I beat my personal best at centipede by a couple of 10,000 points here and there. I think I got like 263,000. And in our centipede episode, I mentioned the strategy that I use that our friend Duke taught me, and that's to build a tunnel of mushrooms down the center of the screen, which is a lot easier done than said. It's a lot easier to actually do it than to explain it. And something else he told me to do is make sure you keep the bottom third of the screen as clear of mushrooms as you can to make it easy for you to move around. So that's what I've always been doing. Do the tunnel, and then once I have the tunnel done, I go down and shoot away the mushrooms. Well, I tried moving my strategy around a bit. I would focus on the mushrooms first, then building the tunnel, and that seemed to help things a lot. Uh, so that was cool. Um, I played Tempest for the first time in a long time, and I now officially suck at Tempest. I didn't suck before. I was just mediocre. <laughs> now I just plain suck. I played a lot of uh, a game we're going to be covering in episode 87, so uh, you'll hear us mention that later on. I tried to take back my house high on Ms. Pac-Man Turbo, but didn't even come close, unfortunately. However, there is a a consolation in that the little cards that uh, they have at the Retrocade that list Mm -hmm. the top 10 scores hasn't been updated, so I'm still, at least as of (laughs) November 3rd, I was still listed as the top player on that, so I felt a little better. Uh, Played some Donkey Kong. I played Mario Brothers for the first time in a long time. It's a shame that I haven't been playing it more because that's a that's a really really good game. It is, and over the course of that whole weekend, I played I think five different versions of Frogger. I played the arcade Frogger and Underground Retrocade. I played a uh, earlier ROM of Froggy on the seventy eight hundred. I played V Frogger on the Vectrex. I played the official Frogger on the Atari twenty six hundred, the uh, Supercharger game. And by the way, um, I might as well open the door for Addenda and Arata here. Um, can uh, Hyde please drop in the love theme right here? Thank you. Uh, I think I may have... Oh, I know for sure that I suggested that none of the home versions of Frogger have the otter. That is incorrect. The official Frogger on the Atari 2600 does have the otter. Ah, and I'm trying to think, I think those are, okay, take it back. It's only four versions of Frogger that I played because I did not play the Parker brothers Frogger. Oh, no, Hmm. never thought of it, but man, oh dude, I told you how I was going to try to load up my SIO to compact flash card for with some Atari games for, Mm -hmm. so I could play it on my 600 XL. I just bought a brand new multi-card reader the compact flash part of it doesn't work because one of the pins bent on first use so i wasn't able to add anything so i was ticked i didn't do anything with that but i played cosmic chasm on the vectrex for the first time that's a fun game i never played it before i i was actually learning as i went it is so much fun it really that's the game i'm thinking of um you're like in a room it's got like a reactor in the middle is that the one that's the one. If I'm not mistaken, that game was originally released for the Vectrex, and then they made an arcade version of it. You are it. not mistaken in the least. You are not mistaken in the That's least. That's a very, very fun game. And, and something I do have to say about this extra life experience was it was hard. It was rough. It. it oh, I bet. Man. Because it's one thing to say, go to your favorite arcade, 
those of us who are lucky enough to have arcades that are goable and just spend the entire day there and just get so into it that you know that you it's 2 a.m before you realize it it's another thing when you are intentionally there that long and you have to commit yourself to playing nonstop because you're doing it to raise money you can't just Mm-hmm. play a couple of games, take a 15-minute break, play a couple more, take another 15-minute break, etc. like I usually do. <laughs> I actually had to keep going. And my wife was right when she told me, get a hotel room and just spend the night right there and don't try to drive 25 miles home afterwards. Because, man, yeah. after I was done, I felt stoned. I had a hard time staying awake. I mean, I, I don't know how I made the one-and-a-half-mile drive <laughs> To the Courtyard Marriott. I can't imagine trying to get all the way home. But yeah, I went back to my... Try driving 70 miles on Route 47 where there's barely anything. Try to drive on Route 47, period. Well... That is is the most boring Until you get to Yorkville. That is the most boring road I've ever been on in my life. Oh, I've got more boring roads. Man, I, I went back to my hotel room. I cleaned up my I washed up got ready for bed and I was watching Ferg's extra life stream during that time and man I went to bed and I th- I don't even think I slept I think I was actually dead for six hours I think <laughs> I was legally dead as opposed to illegally dead man it, it, it was rough um, I do want to thank uh, those who have uh, donated so far to my extra life campaign. Yes, I say so far because they are accepting donations through the end of the year. And I met my goal. And first off, and a lot of these people that I'm thanking are people that I'm going to be thanking again later to later in this episode because they also support this podcast. Uh, I want to say, first of all, thanks to Underground Retrocade, not only for being an amazing host, but also for kicking in a few bucks and knocking me over my $500 goal. Edlighton Controllers knocked me even further over my goal. Several anonymous donors, including a, and I quote, Pie Factory listener from Iowa. I don't think they listen, but the Parham family, I don't care. Thank you anyway. Uh, Great Offender on Atari Age, uh, Richard Grounds, thank you guys so much. Andrew Fellman, uh, Bill from Atari Bytes chipped in. Um, This James person? Who the hell's James Goebel? He sounds like a total douche. Probably, but he donated, so uh, assuming it's a he, so I do thank James. Uh, Bryce from the TurboTastic podcast, who's also doing Extra Life, he kicked in a few bucks for me, and I returned the favor to him. Uh, Michelle Levis, who's actually one of my my wife's co-workers, actually. She teaches at North Grand High School. Uh, the Sheehan family, uh, who are the reasons I chose uh, Lurie Children's Hospital. Eugenio, uh, let's see, the Fichtel family, Fichtel, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but I, th- I believe they are courtesy of Underground Retrocade patrons on Facebook, as is Bruce Widmer, who also kicked in. And uh, yeah, so everybody, thank you, thank you, thank you. And Sean Holly, how can I forget Sean Holly and Steve Steiner and our friend Bobby Adad Moore? So thank all of you. I am $26 over my goal so far. Yay. So yeah, thank you all. I really do appreciate that. And uh, after I finished up my extra life hours on Tuesday night, actually, because I couldn't fit them in on Sunday. And then once I was done on Tuesday night, I swore off video games for good. (laughs) And that lasted until Sunday, I think. And I decided just to 
kick up the uh, 7800 again, and I played a few games. I played Centipede and uh, a couple of different Pac-Man collection games, courtesy of Bob DiCrescenzo. So I've been talking enough. Uh, before, um, By the I, way, um, yeah? speaking of Bob DiCrescenzo, Baby Pac-Man's coming along really fine. Oh, yeah, I played that during Extra Life, too, and people who saw the stream, you probably audibly heard me being astonished. Mm-hmm. As opposed it's to really visually good. heard me. They, they still got a lot to do in it, but what they've but what's been accomplished is amazing so far. Yeah, seriously. I, th- I think they all right, I don't I'm not a game programmer, so I don't know, but I'm guessing that the really truly hard stuff is already done. I, it sounds like it. It, it. it seems like it. It plays like it. It's really... I think it, the only thing at this point that would I would think would be really hard would be the transition from the maze to the uh, to the pinball portion. But other than that, the looks like the pinball portion is uh, squared away. All well, that has the maze to, be done to the is, pinball portion works. It's just going back from going back to pinball or going back from the pinball to the maze. The transition portion of it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's coming along really well. That I would would not be surprised to see that done. I would not be surprised to see that done within the next couple of months. That would be absolutely amazing. But then again, who knows how long it'll be before it's on cartridge? But that's a yeah, different that's story true. altogether. Yeah, and I think that's all the ga- all the gaming stuff I have to talk about. Except I I'm really excited because I ordered Froggy and. Uh, Serpentine for the Atari 7800, brand new homebrew releases. Froggy was in the works for 14 freaking years. Why did it take so long? You know what? There is an explanation for that on the uh, episode 47, I think, of the Atari 7800 homebrew podcast. I will have to listen to it yes, again. Yes, you will have I, to listen I, to I, it because that will have the explanation. I will have but to listen to it I again. was so excited to get that. Well, I don't have it yet, but I, I just got an email from Albert a couple hours ago confirming that he received the pokey chip that I sent for Yay. that. Uh, there's a, it, it takes both pokey chip and the regular default 7800 sound. So if you have a pokey chip, you could send it in and get improved sound. And the really cool thing, when I went to my like stash of random stuff to find my pokey chip, I mm-hmm. found not a pokey chip, but two pokey chips. Ooh. I didn't know I had the other one. So I just have one sitting here waiting for the next pokey thing. Now uh, I, can... I, I really can't imagine that future homebrews are going to be focusing on pokey unless they're specifically for the expansion module. Yeah. Because there's such a paucity of pokey chips now. Now there's a project going out there to make a, uh, a pokey replacement using yes. FPGA, but... You know, I don't think it'll, given what I little I know about FPGA, it will not fit into a cartridge, which... Oh, man. Oh, before I forget, I, I have a podcast-related announcement that has nothing to do with video games. Oh? The preface for Autobiography of a Schnook is officially released. Yay! It hasn't been on any podcast feeders yet, but you can actually go to Autobiography of a Schnook's website and get it. It's schnookpodcast.com. I wonder if my podcatcher has it. I'm just going to check my phone real quick. As of this recording, I submitted it to iTunes. And actually, um, I just might submit it to uh, Stitcher right now, uh, if I can figure out how. I'm just going to search for schnook on my podcatcher. Let's see. C-H-N-O-O-K. 
The preface is nothing remarkable to listen to, I'll be quite honest, because it's just kind of like an episode of zero kind of thing, just a generic little placeholder. But it does tell exactly what I intend to do with Autobiography of a Schnook. Uh, no result as of yet. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. So it takes a little bit for RSS feeds to get published, but I'm sure it will yeah. be up for before too long. But I was hoping. Of course, because the podcast is so generic, it's hard to come up with the categories for it. But eh, what you going to do? What you going to do? When they come for you. But basically what, what I'm trying to do with it is basically just talk about me, really. <laughs> and every episode, every chapter, if you will, is going to have a segment called Music for Schnooks. Because I always wanted to do something musical with a podcast. And this kind of gives me an opportunity to do that. But there you go. And that's enough for the self-promotion right now. Ah, well, you know what? I'm kind of sad uh, tonight, uh, and, I, and I'll tell you oh, why. Don't be because sad. Uh, we we don't have an email from Eugenio. Oh, I'm kind of sad about that because I was kind of I was I miss <laughs> I miss the emails. <laughs> well, has he already talked? Because he was basically catching up with his comments on the games we talked about. Has he talked yeah, about he, everything? I think so he far? did. Caught, I think he did catch up. I don't think he talked about space encounters. Though. He didn't talk about Tinkle. He didn't talk about Tinkle Pit or Uncle no. Pooh. Ooh, no, he oh. didn't, did he? Oh, he's still got a few to go. Eugenio, Tinkle Pit and Uncle Pooh. Yep, no, yep, yep. Oh, and he didn't talk about uh, Miss World. You Miss, know, oh, that's right. Or yep. uh, those other weird ones. God, those are weird freaking games. I really want to find out if anyone's actually ever seen an arcade cabinet for those, but I'm guessing yeah. probably not. Yeah. I still can't believe we didn't notice during the episode that one of the continents listed was USSR. I know. Which is well, one, you, not a uh, continent. Oh, actually, number that, two no longer existed. That's true because I, I was thinking <laughs> the USA, but no, that was that was uh, labeled North America. Okay, an autobiography of a schnook has now been submitted to Stitcher. Yay. So it should be mm. a few days before that gets approved, hopefully. Yep. yep. Awesome. Yay. So all is right, that all so we have? What am I going to do for a fourth podcast now? Uh, talk about oh, I fourth? did come up with an idea, actually. Oh? A, a daily Sudoku podcast. A daily Sudoku yeah, podcast. Yeah, in case like you're in, in your car and you can't write the numbers down or read it. I'll just read the numbers and put the blanks in, you know? Ooh, a number station. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what those are. Those number yeah. stations. Oh, that's true. They were broadcasting Sudoku puzzles to f to fellow spies. Years ago, my brother got a Sharp Electronics shortwave radio. No, that's a Sharp radio. And I futzed with it for a while, and I found a couple of those numbers stations. Those are creepy. Just, that's a real spy in there for you. Yeah. Um, speaking of spies, um, all this talk has really made my mouth dry. Oh? Yeah. Hmm. I wish I had a drink or something. And an arena to drink it in? Oh, you know what? Can we open up Sean's Drinking Arena? We need a theme song for that. Yeah, we do. Maybe I can hit up Scattered Frog for that. But if anybody else wants to do a theme song, then Sean's Drinking Arena. Sean's Drinking. No, it's too much like a Dinda Narada. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do something different. First of all, I'm not going to live stream it this time. It's, it's just not worth the trouble. Second of all, I don't have a drink with me. Uh-oh. I have two drinks with me. <gasps> oh, boy. Both of them are Melba's Fixins. One is sweet tea soda. Nah. The like other is tea. lemon meringue pie. Meringue. Lemon meringue pie, pardon me. He would meringue. Now, which one should I try first? 
everybody knows what sweet tea tastes like. Well, how about in the, in the form of a soda? So I'm going to actually, I'm going to decide I'm going to do that one first. Well, I've confirmed so that. Why this did is you not, ask for my opinion? Because you basically said something that's too assumptive. And well, you know what happens when you assume. It makes an ass out of you, not me. Yeah, so I'm going to try this sweet tea. Uh, I've confirmed that it is a Ass. soda because it contains carbonated water. And it tastes just like sweet tea, except it's carbonated. There you go. And I hate sweet tea. Yeah, because you're a commie pinko nut job from no, hell. No, because I'm a northerner. Ugh. So am I, but I love sweet tea. If you want sweet tea, then, put, then use sugar that's on the table. Well, I hate sweet tea because sweet when I go to McDonald's is. and order a, a, that's a your an first unsweetened problem. iced tea, and first of all, say what you will about McDonald's, their unsweetened iced tea is amazingly delicious. One of the few things on the menu that's amazingly delicious. Oh, the sweet tea at the Weber Grill restaurant is wonderful, by the way. I forgot. Yeah. They told me what brand it is. I don't remember. It might be the same stuff that McDonald's has, for all I know. But right, so, I'm tired of going to McDonald's, ordering unsweet tea, and getting a sweet tea, and then having to go into the to the restaurant and changing it to get the correct order. That's why the sweet tea should stay in the South where it belongs. Then I won't be able to get it, and I like it. Too bad, so sad. Then what am I supposed to do at Southern-style restaurants? Suck mm. it up, buttercup. No. All right, so yeah, sweet tea soda tastes like regular sweet tea. Like pre-packaged sweet tea, not like brewed right in front of you. So now I'll try the lemon meringue pie soda. I'm very curious on this one. Hmm. Is there a taste of burnt eggs? Not really, no. Hmm. Okay, I mean this in a good way. It tastes like lemon pledge. Hmm, okay. Well, you know what enough. it tastes like? I remember there uh, there was a uh, an ice cream truck, Stan's Ice Cream, which I think I think it's all over the place. Not just like where. I lived in Bourbon A at the time, but they had basically like kind of like ice cream or ice milk on a stick, and it was Pac-Man ice cream. So of course that was my oh, go-to I remember thing. That. This stuff tastes like that Pac-Man ice okay. cream, kind of lemon ice, lemon ice-ish yeah, in a way. Yes, yes. All right, now what I want to do in addition, not only do I have two drinks here, but I'm going to take these two Melba's Fixins drink drinks drink. No, I'm going to take these two Melba's Fixins drinks, and I'm going to make an Arnold Palmer out of them. Uh-oh. Half so I'm gonna tea blend and half it. lemonade. Yep, even though it's not really lemonade, but hey, you never know. Now, this is going to be interesting because I've never actually made my own Arnold Palmer. They've always had them prepackaged. Isn't he dead? Yeah, he died recently. I thought so. And I can't drink... My wife cannot drink an Arnold Palmer because there's a scene in the Love and Mercy... Uh, bio, it's a Brian Wilson biopic that came out a few years ago, and there's a scene where a psychologist is screaming at their housekeeper for making a bad Arnold Palmer. <laughs> well, it definitely tastes like something. Yep, it's something. I don't know whether it's good or bad. I really don't. I can't tell. I can't tell if making an Arnold Palmer out of this stuff is good or bad. I can't tell. I can definitely taste the tea. I can definitely taste the lemon meringue. But I don't know if I can taste them together or at the... I don't... I, okay, like this the flavors are competing. Me. No, it's more like they're passively resisting each other or something. Oh. I, I really don't know. 
It's like they're trying to dance around each other. Okay, it's kind of like if you're ever walking somewhere and then someone else is walking head on right into you and you both try to move to the side, but you're both moving to the same side. And of course, it usually ends with somebody saying, well, thanks for the dance. (laughs) That's what this tastes like. Tastes like two people walking head on into each other? Almost walking head on to each other, Mm. but they try to avoid each other by going to the side, but they both pick the same side repeatedly. That's what this stuff tastes like when you blend uh-huh. the two together. And ergo, that is Sean's drinking arena. Any questions? Nothing that I can think of at the time. Good. What do you want to do now? I want to merengue and do the cha-cha. Well, go see Tony and Chico and Lola and take care of that. Will do, Barry. And I am not ashamed to admit that I know that much. Oh, gosh, don't even get me started. <laughs> My sister was a huge Barry Manilow fan. She had every album. Copacabana is my guilty pleasure. In fact, it's I, mean, I even question the guilty song. because what's guilty about it? My wife took my son to um, Cleveland several years ago to the Cleveland Clinic for for something. I don't remember what it was. And uh, what happened was they were at the um, uh, they stayed at the Ronald McDonald House, which is a great charity, by the way. Tis. And the Ronald McDonald House got some free tickets for a Barry Manilow concert in Cleveland that night, and. My wife and my son got him, and they went to see Barry Manilow, and my son loved the show. So, Well, who wouldn't love pretty... seeing Barry Manilow in Cleveland? That sounds like nothing but excitement. I like Cleveland. It's a very underrated town, in my opinion. The mistake by the lake. It's very underrated, and they have a national park, a literal national park at right on their border. Of course, if things go the way that they will, Chicago will actually have a national park uh, not too far from the border. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. But who knows if that's going to happen? <laughs> I could get into that. But yeah, let's. Uh, I'm not yeah. going to. So we should probably talk about games. Game? Oh, is that games. why we're okay. here? How about yeah, Parcheesi and like and maybe Frolf? You're driving me mad. Mad as a marble. <laughs> really? Huh? Uh, I'm getting marble madness. Careful, Stevie. though. You're gonna, careful, you're going to hurt your arm from all that stretching you're doing. Actually, stretching makes it to where I don't hurt myself. So, I guess we'll talk about Marble Madness first, since I've already Ooh, pretty Marble much Madness. teased it. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. So and what do I you do? You go up to Marble Madness and you go, nye, 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 nye. Nye, 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 nye. So, Marble Madness it is. Huzzah. Huzzah. Marble Madness. Yes. We got to think of something new instead of huzzah for the new year. Oh, good grief. I'm sure we'll think of something. Yeah. Oh. oh I, I dread that, that day. Game. Oh. Marble Madness. We could go with that. Well, we we got time. We got time. Well, we'll figure something out. We'll figure. But anyway, Marvel Madness, nineteen eighty four from Atari Games Corp. Not Atari, but Atari Games Corp. This is oh. after the company splits into Atari and Atari Games, Games Corp. Oh. Two different. I just heard made. about that on uh, the Atari Jaguar Game by Game podcast. Mm-hmm. Yes, it just came out. So this is a uh, upright raster game. I don't believe there was anything other than an upright game. I don't believe there was a cocktail, but it's a two player simultaneous trackball game and basically the object is to it's a race guide a marble through a very high-res isometric 3d race course before the time runs out basically get your marble to the goal uh, player one controls the blue marble which is a blue trackball player two is red which is the red trackball if you do play a one player game you can use either trackball to control the marble but the marble will be blue regardless of which trackball you use which i thought that was kind of interesting hmm. Yeah, you get a uh, a certain amount of uh, time. Uh, I believe default is like 60 seconds to complete a race. Yes, and we'll talk about that a little later. 
And uh, sometimes in the, during the game, a magic wand will come out to give you like 10 extra seconds. In a two-player game, the winner always gets five additional seconds. So uh, by the fifth race, you can actually have an, almost another full half minute to complete a race. And that'll be pretty pretty, pretty uh, useful. But uh, yeah, there are six courses in the game. And the game actually ends after the sixth one. Uh, you have the practice course, which is the standard beginner, the standard course. Then there's the beginner course, which is a little more difficult. And then the intermediate, obviously, which is more difficult. Then you have the aerial course, which there's a lot of um, parts in the maze where uh, you can just fall right <laughs> off, like no walls or anything. Um, I'm going to take your word for that. Uh, you never got I'm, that far. I have huh? to. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get into that later. Okay. No. Then you have the silly race, which uh, gravity is reversed. So, uh, oh yeah, and all of the races start from the top go from the top of the course to the bottom. The silly race goes from the bottom to the top. Gravity is reversed in this, so uh, if you're going uphill, you go faster as if you were going downhill. One section of the course has all of the enemies miniaturized. You can run over them to get uh, extra bonus points and extra time. And um, yeah, and then you have the ultimate course, which is the ultimate race and is extremely difficult and uh, really hard to get through. You do have a bunch of uh, enemies. Uh, you have... Uh, you have the black steely pots and pans, uh, the black oh. steely marble, which uh, tries to bounce you off. That first comes up in the beginner, in the beginner race. Uh, you also have acid puddles, which look a lot like the ones that were in Gauntlet Two. Uh, marble munchers, which are like a, a, a green tube with yellow ends. They they look and behave uh, a lot like a slinky in a way. Well, they don't look like it, but they behave like a slinky in the way they walk, and. Uh, Kind of like a green sock, they almost look, I guess. Hmm. And uh, it's it's funny because uh, your marble, if your marble touches one, it gets stunned a little bit, and then the marble tries to, or then the marble muncher tries to munch your marble. Wow, there's if a euphemism. If you know what I mean. If you know what I mean, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. And I'll I'll get into more about that later. There's some really cute touches. Uh, and later on, in later levels, there are some birds. I noticed those on the ultimate level. I I had cheats on because I suck at this game. And then sometimes there are hammers that will come out and smash you. And there's a whole bunch of like different little enemies in this game. It's really kind of difficult to list them all. There's a bunch of different obstacles, too. There's like pipes that you have to roll your marble into and then tunnels and then parts of the maze where there's just nothing on the side so you can just fall off of it. Uh, there's one part that's really cool where there's like a wave that pushes your marble along. That's kind of neat. Uh, there are pistons that will pop, that pop up and will pop your... Uh, marble off of the maze, they'll bounce it off. There, there are ramps that you can go over to score your bonus points. Oh gosh, what, there are places where there are disappearing parts of the maze and that's really hard to get through. That's on the ultimate uh, the ultimate race. You have a tilting bridge uh, early on, uh, which kind of helps you out a lot. Um, well, not helps you out a lot, but I mean, you have to get over it. And of course, there's a bunch of marble munchers uh, right before it, so you, uh, you got to get across that and not get stuck by the the end of the bridge closest to you going up. But uh, there's really a lot of different obstacles and enemies in this game. It's really hard to uh, mention them all. It's got a lot of cute little touches. Yep. If your marble falls from a intermediate height, you'll get stunned a little bit. It'd be hard to move. You can still move a little bit. But uh, there'll be like little birds flying around your marble. You'll hear the tweeting sound. If you fall from a higher platform, your marble will crack and, and shatter. And then a little broom comes up with a dustpan and sweeps your marble away. Oh, I like that. Oh, that's awesome. 
And then uh, when a marble muncher eats your marble, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more, the uh, the marble will, or the marble muncher will smile and lick its lips. That's pretty cute. Scoring in this game is uh, kind of interesting. You get 10 points for every little bit you move the marble. Uh, if you successfully complete a jump in the, which is only in the practice race, you'll get a bunch. You'll get either three to six thousand bonus points. If you kill the black steely, uh, you get a thousand points. Go through a tunnel or a tube, you get two thousand four thousand points. If you roll over an enemy in the silly race, you get five hundred points for each one you roll over, plus three seconds of time. On the one hand, it is worth it to go down in there to get it, but then on the other hand, I was playing this here and I don't really have a trackball that worked well with it. Uh, I, I think I am going to have to get a different trackball. As much as I love my Sega Master System sports pad, I think I'd probably have to get a better trackball with more response to pl play games like this correctly. But yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to get out of the area where that's in. Finishing a race, you get uh, the race number you're on times 1,000 points. So like if you're in the practice race, it'll be 1,000, the next one, 2,000, so on. Uh, you'll get 100 points times number of seconds remaining. If you finish the game, get through all six levels, you get 2,000 points plus 1,000 points for each second remaining. And also, when you finish the game, you get subtracted 1,000 point penalty. You get a 1,000 point penalty for every death you've uh, had during the game, every time your marble crashes or cracks or you've know, fallen off of the maze. There were no released sequels to this game. Oh, I noticed that you said released. Released sequels. There is a game called Marble Madness 2 Marble Man, and a few prototypes exist. I haven't really seen much in the way of video on this. I was going to check it out earlier, but I never got a chance to. But uh, apparently that game's controlled by a joystick. Really? I don't know. Yeah. There's some interesting, uh, interesting trivia on this game. Do tell. Uh, the designer-slash-graphics programmer for the game, Mark Cerny, was 17 years old when he joined Atari and designed Marble Madness. Hmm. Uh, apparently, the game was designed as part of a contest Atari was having, allowing people to design a game. He was known he was very well known for his game-playing skills, and he won the contest easy. Before he joined Atari, he actually did teach himself how to program an assembly so that he could just like jump right into the fray. Uh, later on in life, Mark uh, was executive producer of Crash Bandicoot and Dis Disruptor oh. and producer of Crash Bandicoot 2 on the PlayStation. He designed Missile Defense 3D on the Sega Master System, which is an amazing game. requires both the light gun and the 3D glasses. Oh, boy. And he programmed Kid Chameleon and the Ooze for the uh, Sega Genesis slash Mega Drive. So he had a pretty, uh, pretty good career, and he's still involved in uh, the gaming industry, from what I understand. Uh, apparently... For as popular and much of a beloved game as Marble Madness is, only 3,270 cabinets were produced. And uh, the original selling price is $1,795. Ooh. As far as ports go, uh, on the classic systems, the only classic system ports, uh, classic console ports, are the NES and the Sega Master System. There is a rumored prototype for this for the Atari 7800, however has not seen hmm. the light of day. It could just be a part number on an internal document. I know I have seen a part number for this on a document for 7,800 games, but uh, whether the prototype exists or not, that's a different story. And, of course, it was around on computers of the time, like the Atari ST, the yep. Amiga, C64, Apple II, and the PC. I first played it on either Commodore 64 or Amiga. I don't remember for sure. I think I've played it on the Atari ST. And I know it was released on the C64, because I remember seeing that at uh, Toys R Us back when they had computer software. 
And um, the game is, of course, on multiple modern collections for modern systems. Um, I do have to say, I, I believe I mentioned this on our Clax episode low those years ago, mm. that um, there was a... Back then, the uh, the Game Boy Advance had some cartridges that had multiple classic arcade games on there. There was like one that had uh, Gauntlet. I can't remember the other game that was on it. Uh, then there was the one that had Clax and Marble Madness. Clax was perfect. It was a great rendition of it. However, Marble Madness had only three levels, and really, I was able to beat all three of them. And it was a it was a freaking disappointment. It did not have all six. So I don't know why that is, but it was a huge disappointment. Those uh, dual game collections got a lot of uh, flack for uh, being uh, subpar collections. But uh, the the one with Gauntlet on it was really good. And then the, the Clex, and uh, Clex was really good, but uh, Marble Madness was a real huge disappointment mm-hmm. on that. But uh, So I got to ask, Sean. Oh, yeah? Uh, so where ask. was the first place you played it? First place I played it, <laughs> Underground Retrocade, believe it or not. We're talking just the arcade version. Oh. And it's one of the latest acquisitions at Underground Retrocade, actually. The crazy thing is, like, I have been going to Galloping Ghost on and off probably about six years now, and I never played it there. They've had it, I think, the whole time I, I've uh, known about Galloping Ghost, but because Galloping Ghost can get so crowded, I could never physically reach the Marble Madness machine. <laughs> so I never got to play it until Underground Retrocade. And man, it is a... Okay, here's why it's called Marble Madness. It will make you mad. It is a frustrating game. It's it's freaking insanely frustrated, but you keep oh, wanting is. to go back to it. And I think part of the reason that you do want to keep going back to it is that cutesy stuff you were mentioning before the animations the little sweepy thing the, the sound effects yeah the, the graphics are beautiful in fact i was reading uh when i was doing research back. on this one thing mark cerny was he was a huge fan of uh, of the 3d of of like uh of uh, of irobot and uh, i can't remember what the other game was but uh he wanted the uh graphics to be cleaner and this is a really this is a really clean looking game when it comes to the graphics the graphics are very well done and very well defined Oh, and I do have to say, uh, you'll never guess where I first played Marble Madness. You literally uh, won't guess. I literally won't, huh? Um, I'm going to guess it was not Sound Investment. No. It was not Putt-Putt. Let me, I'll give you a hint. It was nowhere in Illinois. Um, it was Canada. Not too far off, actually. Minnesota. No, uh, it was actually in Montana. Arkansas. It was at uh, the Glacier Park Lodge. In other words, the Glacier National Park Lodge at East Glacier Park, Montana. Huh. Uh, they had a little game room. We were on vacation in 1986. Wow. Yes, I first played it in 1986, two years after it came out, and they had it like on the on the lower the lower floor at this really awesome looking lodge, and uh, that was the first place I ever played it. Interesting. Yeah, didn't didn't see that one coming, did you? I uh, I cannot say I did, but I also cannot say I'm surprised. Yeah. Well, actually, yes, I can. I'm surprised. There, I just said it. Ah, well, there you go. So, but I'd be that lying. trip. That was a great trip. Yeah, it was part of an Amtrak tour. We were taken to Seattle. It was like about a th- half mile from the Amtrak station to the Glacier Park Lodge. Maybe it was three quarters of a mile. It had a huge, huge lawn out front. There was like no uh, courtesy vehicle to take us from the train station to the lodge. So you hit see all these people with all of their suitcases, like going across this gigantic, huge lawn to get to the lodge. It was, it was a pain in the ass. It was funny at the same time. 
Yeah. Oh, man. I would love to go back there, but uh, that's probably not going to happen. I'm just curious here. Well, maybe it's a lot closer than I thought. It was still a huge-ass lawn. But um, I, I really like this game. It's uh, I am absolutely, totally terrible at it. Yeah. And, uh, are you any terribler that at it than I am? Well, you got scores on Orcade. But then again, so, I've never yeah, can, uh, I've you, never submitted. You can any, submit so. anything on Orcade; it doesn't matter. That's true. I haven't submitted anything in a long time. I think the last thing was my score on Two Tigers. And hey, Doc Mac has many times said, even if your score is like little chintzy, like five hundred points, submit it anyway, just to put yourself up there. True. True. So Orcade doesn't mean that you're a high scorer. It means you are literally a scorer. Period. I got like a seventy-five, eighty thousand score on Orcade for Burger Time. Burger Time's not. Once you figure out the patterns, it's uh, or how the movement. I'm trying it's to not figure too, out too why I suddenly suck at Burger Time. I used to be able to loop through all the mazes like multiple times. I can't even go through one loop anymore. The trick is to try to get on on the early levels. Try to collect as much pepper as possible. and oh, yeah. Don't use any of it until that last level where you'll need it all. Like where there are all those dead ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anywho. Uh, but anyway, that was Burger Time. But. Um, I, I like this game. Oh, I like it too. How much would you rate it out of uh, five continues? Well, why don't we talk about scores first? Scores? Okay. My score sucks. I think my high score so far is like 18,000 something. Oh, okay. What about other scores? Other scores? Uh, well, uh, let's see. According to Twin Galaxies, Donald Hayes has their highest score at a million, th- million thousand? No, a million forty thousand eight hundred sixty-six, which was verified by video on the 1st of August in 2003. There are multiple ROM sets of Marble Madness, and interestingly, Twin Galaxies will indicate, like, ROM set 1, and uh, according to their records, ROM set 1, you start with 60 seconds on the clock, like you said earlier, but Mm -hmm. ROM sets 2 through 4, you actually start with 55 seconds, and interestingly, Twin Galaxies has no records on those tracks, just ROM set one. Hmm. And they have Stan Shapansky, which is spelled phonetically, by the way, S-Z-C-Z-E-P-A-N-S-K-I. Stan Shapansky, he scored 187,880, and that was verified by referee a long time ago, June 30th, 1985. Ooh. And then on Orcade.com... Orcade.com doesn't actually say what their settings are that they adjudicate with, but they have Ben Falls as their high scorer, and he scored 121,860 on August 7, 2010, during the second annual Richie Knuckles Invitational. Ah. How does that work? Does Richie Knuckles just pick up the phone and say, hey, uh, you want to come over? Awesome. Uh, I'll come right over. Uh, all right, Richie. Uh, you want me to bring pretzels? Yeah, yeah that'd, be, <laughs> that'd be just swell. Good. <laughs> You're going to chip in for pizza? I do want to get out to Underground Retrocade for one other throwback, or what do they call it? Wednesday, one, one Wednesday, Wednesday night thing or something. Pizza, yeah. But only if I'm not working the next day. Ooh, I'm taking most of December off, so I might Ooh. see if I can do that. Well, not most of December, but from the 21st through the rest of the year. But anywho, yeah. On a scale of one to five continues. I'd have to say four, honestly, even though it's so frustrating. It's a frustrating that you love to come back to. Mm-hmm. And its frustration factor is why I can't rate it more than a four. But hmm. 
it is fun, and you do keep coming back to it, thinking because it is a race, and things that is really true, yeah. don't change. There's really not a whole lot in this game that's random. Maybe the movement of some of the enemies, like the uh, the the black steely Dan and the uh, and the marble munchers mm-hmm. and the acid puddles. Oh yeah. But uh, for the most part, nothing's really random. So I mean, you if you figure stuff out and can control it, you theoretically can get good at this game. But um, you know, I'm not. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's beautiful to look at yeah. and awesome to listen to. Yeah, I am so not good at the game. Yeah, but uh, it's worth every token. So I think with that, we should probably move on to the next game. So yeah, let's go on to the next game. Oh, crap. That's uh, what I have to uh, lead the discussion on, isn't it? Ah, fudgicles. All right, all right. So I guess the game that I'm going to lead, pardon me, the game on which I'm going to lead the discussion is um, Domino Man. Ah, huzzah, Domino Man. Released in huzzah, December of Domino 1982 Man. by Bally Midway. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. It just occurs to me we need to introduce this one def- differently. Whoa, Domino. No! <laughs> Van Morrison. Ugh. But, yeah. Um. So, Domino Man was released in December 1982 by Bally Midway, although... <clears throat> Wikipedia and Orcade.com say 1983. And just to make things even more clear, the parts and operating manual say November 1982. So the uh, actually, the parts and operating manual says November 1982. So when was this game made and released? Obviously 2006. That's my guess from just calculating all these different dates. But anywho, uh, it was made by Marvin Glass and Associates, which is a toy company out of Chicago, and they made this game under contract by Midway. Now we've talked about them quite yeah. a lot. And uh, Marvin, many people like to consider this kind of part of a trilogy with Timber and Tapper because it has the same looking character in it, and it has kind of a cartoony little animation. In fact, a lot of these uh, Midway games that look kind of cartoony, like Timber, Tapper, Domino Man, Journey, those are made by Marvin Glass. That's kind of their little trademark. And uh, the programmers on the game were Richard and Elaine Ditton, which I believe I mentioned them in a previous episode, and I said that I didn't know what their relationship was with each other, whether they were brother and sister, husband and wife. Well, I have the answer. They were husband and wife, and they had children. Yeah, and they were co-workers. Fraternization. Something like that. They worked on several games for Marvin Glass and Associates, and they were the founders of Intelligent Technologies of Rolling Meadows, Illinois. And they worked on Golden Tea and Journey and Tapper. Oh, Golden Tea, huh? Yep. Oh, I've it, never heard of that game. Really? Huh, yeah, well. There, there are no cabinets for that game anywhere. Well, you know what? Just for fun and historical research, we should cover that game in the next episode. Nah. So, anywho, interestingly... Richard and Elaine got divorced in 1998, and as of 2007, they were still working together, and they lived four houses away from each other. Oh, jeez. I I found that out in a newspaper article. It was was about divorced couples and exes and things who still, like, saw each other every day at work, and the headline was something like, so long, honey, gonna go see my ex at work. (laughs) But yeah, they were still co-workers. They still work closely together every day. I don't know about nowadays, but 
but yeah, they got divorced and, and, uh, eventually Elaine got married again to Larry Hodgson, who was an exec over at intelligent technologies. So I, th- I just thought that was interesting there that they had that little story there. Uh, the graphics were by Scott Morrison, who also worked on timber and tapper and wacko, which I hope is on the spreadsheet, by the way. Uh, yes, it is. Awesome. All right. I like there- that game. There are two different Domino Man machines. There's the upright cabinet and a cocktail table. The control panel is an ambidextrous four-way joystick. And on each side of the joystick is a SWAT button. And I'll tell you what that does momentarily. It calls in an elite police force? Yes, it is. Thank you for asking. Sweet! No, SWAT. Oh. And right below the joystick, I just thought this was interesting. There is a graphic of horizontally oriented dominoes. Uh, They are the dominoes representing six, five, seven, and eight from left to right, respectively. And what is going on in Domino Man? Well, you control a character who's got a bald head and mustache, and he wears glasses. It's basically, for all practical purposes, the same character that you control in Tapper and Timber. And it is believed very, very strongly that that character is based on Mike Ferris, who worked at Marvin Glass and Associates. Mike Ferris also had a mustache and a bald head, so it is widely believed that the Domino Man is a caricature of Mike Ferris. So you're controlling this Domino Man. He is so-called Domino Man because he is lining up dominoes. He's lining up life-size dominoes. If you know what a life-size safe is like, well, a a life-size domino is kind of similar. Basically, these are giant dominoes. Either they're either the dominoes are giant or he and all the other characters are tiny. I don't know. But there's a path of dots on the ground, and you go through and you set up dominoes on those dots. And you set up as many as you possibly can, but there are going to be some enemies who come in and try to make your life not easy. There are killer bees that are going to try to sting you. There's a neighborhood bully who comes in, and there's a walking clock. <laughs> That'll try to get in your way. What's going to happen is these enemies are going to try to attack you. They'll interfere with your setting up of the dominoes. But basically your goal is to set up as many dominoes as you can and then knock them down. Just knock them down in one push and you get a bonus and you get, uh, oh, I took inadequate notes on this. <laughs> <laughs> and you get a bonus depending on how many dominoes you set you you could be setting up multiple screens worth of dominoes depending on how brave you find yourself some enemies will try to steal a domino what you can do is you can fend off some of the enemies by taking a domino and attacking the enemies with it uh, that's what the swat button is for you hit the swat button you use a domino to hit one of the enemies you can hit the bully the bully though is um just going to be, he's just going to be stunned. And stunned? yes, there, there it goes. That's exactly why I say that, say that. But the dominoes double as both playing pieces and weapons. Uh, you lose a life if you get stung by a bee or if the domino all the way on the left is taken out of its place. So don't take it out of its place. Got it? Got it. Got it. So once you set up all your dominoes, you have a choice. You can either knock down the dominoes or keep playing. And the longer you play, the more your bonus value increases. And um, once you lose all your lives, the game is over. And when the game is over, you will see a little poem on the screen. 
uh, there's one, it's a different poem depending on different circumstances. Uh, the one that you'll find on Wikipedia and other articles is going to read, and I quote, roses are red or so goes the verse. You set up uh, 52 or however many dominoes you set up. You could have done worse. Uh, there's another yeah. one that you might see. Roses are red, like the bully's complexion. Your score of 1,055 is certainly perfection. Ooh. So they put in that little touch of magic in the game. And yeah, that's basically the gameplay of Domino Man. Um, as far as my research has told me, there have been no home ports of Domino Man, which is not surprising because the only Marvin Glass and Associates game that I know of that did have any home ports was Tapper. But mm -hmm. hey, um, so no home ports of Domino Man. Man, I'm so glad there are no home ports. It's less work for me to have to research. But hey. I'm pretty sure there aren't. So anywho. Uh, I've never heard of it. You've never heard of it. So I guess there's no answer to the question, where did you first saw slash play the Domino Man? Oh, well. I first saw slash played Domino Man at Putt Putt Golf and Games on Essington Road in Joliet. Oh, really? I thought you never heard of it. No, I never heard of a home version. Oh, okay. You wouldn't let me finish. Just like my coworker never lets me finish what I'm saying. Well, go finish. Meh. Finish now, please. But I'm of German heritage. I'm not Finnish. Then what are you complaining about? I have no idea, and this bit's going nowhere. So yes, Putt-Putt Golf and Games this is where I first saw this and first played it. And the last place I saw and played it. Do you have any memories you can share of uh, your first playage? Well, actually, I can't say that I have not played this since, because I have played this since. Okay. But uh, I remember, yes, I played it, and I'm like, wow, I don't like this game. <laughs> and I never played it until recently. <laughs> See, I actually like the game, but the thing is, like with Marble Madness, or pardon me, as with Marble Madness, it's frustrating. And it's a frustrating that's enough to push me away from the machine and make me want to go play something else. But here's the thing with this yes. game, with its frustration factor, is that the with Marble Madness, I mean, you got all this cutesy stuff going on and this stuff to keep you engaged, and it moves at a, at a steady pace. This game, whenever you place a domino, like all the your guy like stops for just a split second, and to me, that really ruins the flow of the game, and. This game really needs, in my opinion, an eight-way joystick. Yes. I don't think a four-way. This game, a four-way joystick, does not cut it for this game, and it's really hard to swap. I, I don't know. Can you swap things if you're facing up or down? You know what? I never thought of. I I, I don't know. Now I'm going to go back and play. It I think you can only do it left or right. This isn't the first uh, Marvin Glass and Associates game where we're kind of griping about the four-way joystick. Journey, Journey was, uh, I think, both the of one, these yeah. games are desperately needing eight-way controls. Oh, without a freaking yeah. doubt. So this game frustrates the hell out of me, and I don't like it. And I'm not going to give my rating yet because, uh, yeah, we should probably talk about scores and stuff too. But uh, this game uses the same hardware as Tapper or Timber. While I was not a huge fan of Timber, uh, graphically speaking, it was it was a fine enough game. Oh yeah. And Tapper is a, is an amazing game to look at. I think Two Tigers is based on the same hardware as well, and really? that was a good one to look at. Even Journey, for all of its unoriginality, was a good game to look at. This one is not a pleasing game. This this is not a pleasing game to look at. It's it's like like a big green play field with like some decorations in the corners, and there just seems to be there's like no originality to this game, and. 
Yeah, I you can tell I don't like this game. You know, they probably and, I don't I don't know this much, but I'm guessing that they came up with the idea for the game when they got bored and they were just kind of knocking dominoes over. Like, here, here's a good video game idea. You could have come up with a different like, idea. Hey, let's make a video game out of flicking a paper football. Yeah, no, no kidding. <laughs> that would have well, there are <laughs> there actually are games like that on the cell phones, but that's a different story. But I don't know. Maybe we should just talk about scores now. Maybe we should, game. but I need to answer my own question as to where I first saw and or played it. Oh, yes, you do need to. I never actually saw this in the arcade until Galloping Ghost, where I first also played it, by the way. But I knew of it because I saw Domino Man on Starcade, and I was intrigued. I actually looked for that game at Aladdin's Castle at Lincoln Mall, but I never saw it there. Because I really wanted to play it. And when I finally did play it, I'm like, okay, this is fun until it starts getting annoying. And yeah, so yeah, I, I kind of understand your sentiments. I don't think I feel as strongly as you about Domino Man. But yeah, it's not perfect. It has issues. And of course, the big sticking point is the eight-way joystick. But I don't believe necessarily that perhaps Donald Hayes has an issue with Domino Man. You know why? Why do you say that? Because he scored a million forty thousand eight hundred and sixty-six on it, verified wow. by video on August first, two thousand three, by Twin Galaxies, and that was using difficulty level three with extra lives at twenty-five thousand points and forty thousand points. Then you got people like Jamie Tibbetts, whom I know he's a underground retrocade regular. And he scored 3,118,674 during Galloping Ghost's T20 tournament of 2016 on October 8th. And by the way, this is the second episode in a row in which a game we're discussing has an arcade high score that was set during one of the T20 tournaments. So yeah, for you statisticians out there, uh, mark that down. And by the way, Arcade tracks Domino Man based on difficulty level three, but with an extra life every 20,000 points, which kind of explains why he got a significantly higher score than Donald Hayes did for the Twin Galaxies score. So, yeah. Yes. So, Sean, so, what are you going to rate this? I hate, to, I hate to go this low, but I have to rate it a three. If some of the sticking points we mentioned were addressed, like eight, especially the eight-way controlling that the game sorely needs, I would easily give it a four because it's, I mean, yeah, it looks like a boring concept, but it is, it is unique. It is unique. Um, if it were a little less, I think, unfair, because I do think it is a little bit unfair about how easy it is to lose a life and lose your dominoes and things. Uh, well... Anywho, yeah, I, I'd have to give it no higher than a three out of five continues. Three continues. Yeah, I'm going to give this game a one. Really? I do not like this game at all. I just don't think it's fun. And there's just so many flaws with it. It's not fun to listen to. It is not. Not even, not even the not, Maple Leaf Rag, which is used as background music? Not even. Oh, come and, on. And, and it is not pleasing to look at. And the controls are horrible. And the and it does not have the game just does not flow. I mean, with that little pause every time you place a domino, I just do not like this game at all. I I'm sorry. This is you're this, sorry. This game is a stinker. Huh. I don't hate it as much as say. Well, actually, I hate hate it more than Mortal Kombat because two players Mortal Kombat is actually kind of fun. Yes, it is. Yes. Um, when when you're purposely playing somebody in Mortal Kombat, let's put it that way. Uh -huh. Not when some butthole comes up and puts a token in next to you 
Um, well, the thing is, like, this should get a higher rating than what you're giving it then because there is butthole prevention in the game by not allowing two-player simultaneous. This game is probably as bad as uh, Rescue. Yeah, probably as bad as Super Zaxxon. Ugh. Actually, I think Super Zaxxon's a little worse. But I'm still giving this a one. Huh. I'm sorry. I, I just don't like this game. I do do go back to it every now and then in MAME just to see if maybe there's something I'm missing from it. But every time I do, I'm like, yep, nope, don't like it. Hmm. Wow. Uh-huh. Yep. Wow. Oh, yeah. So we should probably reveal the theme. Oh, let's do I'm, it. Can I I'm reveal the theme this time? I'm surprised we've never actually had a fanfare for this part of the show. Hmm. We've never had a fanfare for the theme reveal. If anybody cares to submit a fanfare, uh, we will take it in consideration. <laughs> Pie Factory at Fab4IT.com. And yeah, okay, so the theme is two arcade video games distributed by Midway. Ooh, yes, they were distributed by Midway. The theme is arcade video games that were published by Midway, but designed by other companies. That were based on actual physical games. And based on actual physical games, like actual, like, tabletop games if you will in which you can hold the pieces in your hands marble madness marble madness well marbles, marbles is really more of a floor game actually so is dot if you do the domino tippy over thingy yeah, well, it's a floor they're, game. but they're, they're physical games with physical pieces yeah. basically involves you controlling manipulating playing pieces somehow mm-hmm. and, so, and, yeah. and in fact now that i think about it there was a like a toy in the 80s late 80s early 90s called domino rally which was like dominoes that you would like set up, you know, you put them in a rack and you oh. just flip the rack. And I believe there were actually marble tracks you could get. From I know exactly to what you're talking about. Yes. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. And, uh, you could also use marbles to help tip them over in that too. So both games were kind of had an inspiration, uh, or that was actually inspired by the games of marbles and dominoes. So there's a connection there too. Uh-huh. And when you were saying distributed by Midway, Perchance, what dost thou mean? Because Marble Madness is an Atari game. Oh, well, I'm thanking you for bringing that up. Well, allow me to explain, please do. First of all, we're talking about games that were midway distributed Domino Man, even though Domino Man was developed by Marvin Glass and Associates. And yeah, you're saying, well, Atari distributed Marble Madness, which is absolutely true, and and they also developed it. However, however... However, in 2003, there was a compilation released for home platforms called Midway Arcade Treasures, and it was released, I believe, by Electronic Arts, but the fact that it was basically being passed as a Midway compilation, but it included Marble Madness, and these were emulated, by the way, so they were the actual games. So and that kind of tells you right Atari was well. part of Midway. Yep. You may remember from our Beavis and Butthead episode that the reason that uh, Beavis and Butthead never got finished was because Midway had purchased Atari and put the kibosh on all Atari-made works in progress. Sucks. Yeah. But hey, that's ego for you. Mm-hmm. So there we go. That was uh, that was episode number eight, six of Pie Factory Podcast. And perchance... Dost thou hath any persons to thanketh, yea, verily? Uh, yea, verily, I doth have th- the... <sighs> I have some schmoes I gotta thank. There. <laughs> Not schnooks, but schmoes. Schmoes. No, I'm a schnook. And so these people whom I have to thank, 
in absolutely no particular order other than the order that they are listed in my notes. I, on behalf of Pie Factory Podcast, and representing Jimmy G as well, who is also part of Pie Factory Podcast, I thank Michael D'Angelo and Nate Lockhart. I thank New Balance Stores Phoenix, Art Guglielmo, Atari Bites, D. Alex, Greg Polander, Jonas Rulo, Keith Sheehan, Kyle Adder, PJ Steele, Richards, Grounds, and Valdez, Rory Coleman, Steve Steiner, Tim Foley, and Underground Retrocade. Thank you for sponsoring this podcast over patreon.com. And there's a little bit of information about how you can as well from our booth announcer during the end of the show. And also thanks to Chewy Balls Tapioca Tea of Spring, Texas for underwriting this episode of Pie Factory Podcast. Yay. And thanks to Steve Tui. And thank you to Steve Tui, indeed, of Tuiville.com, spelled T-O-U-H-Y-V-I-L-L-E.com. Dot C-O-M. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh-huh. And with that, we should probably announce the games of the next episode. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, let's see. We are going to be playing what games for what episode next? And you chose the games this time, which is Oh, so I have usually... to say them? Yeah, you know what? I'll say them. All right. Because this is kind of my thing, and your thing is kind of the high score thing. So, so yeah, next episode we're going to be talking about arm wrestling and SF High Splitter. The hell? The hell? Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I picked them. You picked them. Oh, boy. So, yeah. And uh, by the way, next episode will be our final 2018 episode as well. We will be taking a hiatus just like we did last, pardon me, just as we did last year. And of course, just as we did last year, we will turn off the Patreon donations after, once we go on our hiatus. After our hookers and blow are paid exactly. for. Exactly. And um, so yeah, we'll see you, we'll talk to you again, possibly see some of you, I don't know, for the next episode in a couple of weeks. Oh, and when we say hookers, we're talking about people that actually go fishing for us. Well, yes, of course. We, we like fresh seafood. Yes, and Monterey Squid. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, I guess this is uh, coming to you from uh, the um, Chicago. This is Sean. And coming from the Morris, not Morris the cat, but the Morris, this is uh, James. James, aha. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I guess uh, we'll talk to you again uh, after later. Toodaloo. Triangle Square. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. <laughs>